0: In Titus chapter 1 in verse 5, we find the great Apostle Paul writing to Titus, an evangelist, about the subject of unfinished business. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint or ordain elders in every city as I have commanded you. In verse 5, really, it's the meat of the letter to Titus. And in verse 5, Paul addresses the purpose for being in Crete, and that was to ordain elders in every city. And you know, interestingly about this, when it talks about elders in every city, it's talking about elders in every church. And really, when we talk about Crete, this was no small undertaking. I read some stuff about Crete this week, and I found some things that were kind of interesting. Uh, I understand it is the fifth largest island in the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, it is 186 miles long, and the width of it varies between 7 and 35 miles wide. One ancient scholar said there were over 100 cities in ancient Crete. Now, historians also estimated that there were over a million people in Crete at this time. We're talking about a very big place. We're talking about a very very big responsibility. And Paul told Titus, this is why I left you in Crete to do a few things that are unfinished. One of which was ordaining elders in every city or in every church. Now, the work that Paul had begun there needed to be completed. And really, there were two things involved. Number one, to set in order the things that are lacking. To set in order the things that are lacking. You know, that phrase is really interesting because Marvin Vincent said to set in order said it was a medical term that was used to set broken limbs or straighten those that were crooked. In other words, there are some unfinished business that you have to do, Titus, one of which is setting in order the things that are lacking. And number two, ordain elders in every City. You know what's interesting about this is there was obvious it was talking about unfinished business that Titus was to take care of and it was to appoint or ordain elders in every city. When we talk about the idea of setting in in order the things that are lacking, the NIV says to straighten out that which was left unfinished. Now, one of the things that was left unfinished is appointing elders in every city. Now, got to make a point here. Got to ask ourselves a question. Can a congregation be scriptural and exist in a scriptural pattern in the absence of elders? Can a congregation be scriptural in the absence of elders if that congregation does not have a plurality of men that fit the qualifications of being an elder? Well, I'm going to answer it like this. I'm going to answer it like this. With a question, and that is this. What came first, the church or the eldership? That's number one. Number two, what was created for the other? Was the church created for the eldership, or was the eldership created for the church? My point in asking those questions is to emphatically state, yes, a congregation can be scriptural, and can be a faithful congregation in the absence of elders? The answer is yes. In fact, when we go back to the New Testament pattern, we find that there were churches that existed three years and beyond before ever elders were established or ordained at that place, if they do not qualify. Now, when men qualify, when there are a plurality of men that qualify, they are to be ordained and installed in this great position in the church. Now, have you ever stopped to consider why it was that Paul could say to Titus, "Ordain elders in every city, and yet we look out in the body of Christ today, congregation after congregation, and they don't have elders? Because, and the reason for that is those men are not qualified. Have you ever wondered why? There's a question that we have to take a look at, one of which is this. Did God use miraculous help in the days of the early church to be able to have men that were qualified to be elders? Did God assist it with miraculous help? How was it that God could say in God's word to ordain elders in every city? How was it that they were all qualified? The answer is this. There's not one passage of scripture that supports the idea that God used miraculous means or miraculous help to make men be qualified to be an elder. Not one passage. Not one. God did not use miraculous means to have men be qualified. Somebody might say, well, how was it that they could all be doing that? How was it that in every church, in every city, there were men that were qualified? I think you have to take into consideration some history. And when you look at the early church, you find that there were men that were Jews, for example. There were spiritually minded men. Please get that. Spiritually minded men. And they were living under the law of Moses, for example. The law of Moses, they were Jews by blood. They had been spiritually minded in their life. Their fathers had been spiritually minded. Their ancestors were spiritually minded. And then they heard the gospel, and they obeyed the gospel, and they were baptized into Christ. These spiritually minded men didn't have very far to go before they would be qualified to (laughs) be men that could be elders in the church. So the ordination of elders and deacons had nothing to do with spiritual gifts at all. These men were just qualified, and they did so without miraculous help. All right. What about names for the position of an elder? The first name is obviously the word elders. And what does that mean? We're going to find there are three terms or three names used and given to describe the same office, one of which is simply an elder what did Paul say to Titus to ordain elders in every church or every city the word elders there is the word presbyteros and by the way the definition of presbyteros is simply an older person now it is used to describe someone of spiritual maturity and spiritual experience we find in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, we'll say it again, we'll quote from it again, Paul told Titus, and ordained elders in every church or city. Also in Acts 20 and verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. I'm not making fun, but I have to make a point. If the word elder by definition means older person and it's talking about someone of maturity and experience, then it would absolutely automatically eliminate some young man about 18 or 19 years old that comes to your door, nice fellow, with another guy and they knock on the door and they've got the the name tag right here, elder so-and-so. The word elder by itself eliminates a younger person, just by definition. If we knew nothing else of the office, nothing else of the requirements, and by the way, there are 24 requirements or conditions or qualifications for a man to be an elder in the Lord's church. Now, the word elder by itself eliminates a younger person. (coughs) Let's go further. There's another word that's used to describe the office of an elder, and that's the word bishop. Now, the word bishop comes from the word episkopos, and it means overseer. Now, it's used to describe the duty to oversee the local congregation. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, if any desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So, watch this. Elder is used to describe the person. Bishop is used to describe his work or his responsibility or his duty. What's the responsibility that we know so far? There's many others, but what do we know so far? Just by using the word bishop, it's to oversee the local congregation. Guess what? There's another one. And folks, this does not mean preacher. There's a reason that I don't go by Pastor Frank. The denominational world is filled with preachers that go, Pastor Ron, or Pastor Dan, or Pastor whoever. You know, that's not in the Bible. And by the way, pastor does not mean preacher. We noticed in the book of Ephesians, originally in our text, what did we say? God sent some in the church, this one and that one, and makes a distinction between what I am, and as an evangelist, a preacher, and a pastor. You know why? Because a pastor doesn't mean preacher, Pastor means elder. Watch this. Elder by way of an older person. Bishop by way of an overseer. But let's go further. And pastor from the word poimen, which means shepherd. You see the point? The task of a shepherd is to feed the flock of God. Now, interestingly, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11... Again, I'm going to read it. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. All distinctions. Now, we don't have miraculous prophets today, and we don't have apostles today. But we do have pastors being elders. We do have evangelists being preachers. And we do have teachers in the body of Christ, too. We've got all that. For the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints, the completing of the saints. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to read something. Because in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it talks about all three being mentioned. Watch this. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I am a fellow elder And a witness of the suffering of Christ, also to be a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Watch this. To shepherd the flock of God, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. All three are described in the same two verses regarding an elder. And by the way, we're going to get back to this. This was Peter talking. Peter was an elder too, he was an apostle. But in addition to that, he was also an elder. Now, so, an elder, a bishop, and a pastor, not three different distinct offices, but different ways to describe the men and their work. Now, congregations of the body of Christ that were completely and scripturally organized always contained a plurality of elders. And by the way, the authority of these men did not go beyond the local congregation. It was never for that purpose. You know why or how the Roman Catholic Church was formed? You know how it all started? It all started because of these bishops not recognizing or realizing the role that God wanted them to have in the local congregation, and their authority would not go beyond the local congregation All of a sudden, you'd have one guy, and he'd rise up and say, you know what? I'm going to be over this congregation, and I'll be over this one over here, too. And pretty soon, he would be over a number of congregations. Then another guy, he'd rise up and say, you know what? I'm the super bishop guy. I'm the big head cheese. I'm going to be over you who are over all these other congregations. You see where it led? It led to apostasy. It led to the establishment of sacramentalism. It led to the Roman Catholic faith, all because... Bishops, elders, usurped the authority that God had given them. And what they did is they rose up and extended their authority beyond that which God said they could have. Always the local church. Always the local congregation. And nothing else. Now, elders were always also assisted by qualified deacons. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, watch this, with the bishops and deacons. Now, in time, we'll get to deacons. When we get finished going through the eldership and the qualifications of an elder and the work of an elder, we will talk about deacons. But in this respect, we have elders that were older overseers that's what they did and they were shepherds now they had a specific work when you look at the specific work that the elder had it is broken down into two categories here it is first category watch guard and protect that's the first thing watch guard and protect in hebrews chapter 13 and 17 The writer of Hebrews, and I believe that to be the Apostle Paul, said, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So, the first category that describes the work of an elder is a man that is going to be there with at least another man, watching, guarding, and protecting the flock. Number two, number two, second category, is to serve, train, and teach. To serve, train, and teach. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 again. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Watch. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, what does elders do? Elders watch, guard, and protect. What else do they do? They serve, train, and teach. Now, what about qualifications? What about qualifications? There are some requirements that are found in the word of God concerning an elder. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me. I want to read these two passages here. And then what we're going to do is we're going to get into these as we progress through our series. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want us to understand where we are and what it actually means and really how serious it is regarding qualifications. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and beginning in verse 1. Paul said, this is a faithful saying, If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, "...temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest he being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. That's what Paul says to the young evangelist Timothy of those 24 or so requirements or qualifications to be an elder. Now, go with me please to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. This is Paul writing to Titus some more things about that and after he talked about in verse five he said you're there to set in order the things that are lacking and ordain elders in every church watch this if a man is blameless the husband of one wife having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination for a bishop must be blameless As a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Serious matter, isn't it? serious matter. In these qualifications, these passages reveal that elders must possess certain qualities related to the following three areas, marriage and family. By the way, you, you think that it matters, the choices you make regarding marriage and family? You think that matters? Paul gave requirements or qualifications based on marriage and family. What else? Personal conduct. That matters too. What else? Church and community. In other words, my reputation matters in the church, and it also matters in the community. Now, we'll get into this later on down the road. But when Paul talked about that very thing, about having a good report among those that are without, the King James says, or outside, the New King James says, it's talking about that. Talking about those that are in the community. A man that has a good reputation among those. All right. Now, again, again, when Paul told Titus... To ordain elders in every city. These were men that all fit the qualifications to be an elder. And it would have been wrong for Titus to appoint elders in a city of a man that was not qualified. And it would be equally wrong for us to do the very same thing today. What we need, folks, is we need more spiritually minded men. So by way of qualifications, I'm just going to talk about two this morning. Just two. Number one... Is you gotta desire the office. I gotta tell you, I spent a lot of time studying this. And you know what's interesting is there was commentators that never that said, you know, it says you gotta it says desire the office, but that's not a qualification. I disagree with that. It's the very first thing, it's the very first thing mentioned, and maybe we don't have more elders today because we don't have enough men that desire the office. That's the first thing. Watch this. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position or office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, I'm going to talk about two people. Ryan Terwilliger. I don't know if Ryan Terwilliger will ever be an elder in the church. I don't know. I don't know. But I know long before he was ever married, he said one day, I'd like to be an elder in the church one day. My son Tanner just turned 18. I don't know if he ever aspires to be an elder one day, but I'll tell you this. If he had the desire to become an elder and had the desire as a young man long before he was ever qualified, don't you think it would matter or make a difference on the decisions he made in his life? The career path, for example, that he chose? Where he lived, the congregation in which he worked or labored among or was a member of, the person that he married, the children that he raised, don't you think it would matter? If a man is a young man and he desires the office of an elder, it's going to alter the decisions in his life. You see the point? We don't have elders, folks, because we're not planning on it early enough in life. Early enough in life. Now, you know what's interesting about this? The word of God is so perfect, and God is so brilliant. Do you know that in this passage, Paul to Timothy uses the word desires in the English language twice, and they are two different Greek words with two different definitions? Watch this. The first word, desires, is the word orego. And it means to aspire to strive for. Now watch this. Look at the picture here. Paul says, it's a faithful saying, if, in other words, these are conditions, if there's a man that desires the position of a bishop, he's going to desire something else. Now, this word desire is to inspire to strive for. In other words, I have a desire to be in that position. I have a desire to be in that position. But then he says this watch this. If he desires to have the position or the title, he would also desire a good work. The word desire, the second word is epithumio, and it means to eagerly desire or long for. It is an intense longing. Now, that's the same word, by the way. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? Remember? Rich man and Lazarus? Luke 16. And uh, Lazarus was a beggar. He didn't have anything. Okay. And the rich man fared sumptuously day by day. But what it says about Lazarus? It says, Lazarus desiring, this word right here, desiring to have the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. This was a desperate man that had a great intense desire because he was starving to have some crumbs that fell off the rich man's table. That's the word epithumio. Now, here's the point. If a man is going to have a desire to be an elder and have the position or title of an elder, watch this. He will more so, with more intensity, have a desire to do the work. You know, that eliminates somebody that just wants a position or a title of authority. That eliminates the guy that says... I want to be in charge. I want to be the guy. Give me the title elder in the church. I want to be the boss. I want to be in charge. That eliminates that. God is so brilliant. Look at this. Paul said, if anybody there desires or has the, has the idea that they want to be in the position of a bishop, he will have a great intense desire, even more so to do the work of an elder. Yeah, the work of an elder. More intense desire for the work. These words show, as one scholar said, there's more involved in being an elder than just having the aspiration for the office. It's one that if one is truly interested in being an overseer, he will be eager to do the work. So what's the work? Acts 20 and 28. Acts 20 and 28. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock, among the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. So, in other words, a good work is feeding the church, feeding the flock, the flock of God, overseers of the flock of God. Now, let me give you some practical things that an overseer of the flock of God would do. Here are some descriptions. Teaching, leading, and by the way, by the way, if you want somebody, you want to get the most out of somebody, I don't care, I don't care what avenue of life you want to plug in, I don't care. If you want to get the most out of someone, lead them. You can't drive them, you can't push them, you can push them only so far. If you want to get the most out of somebody, lead them. What does an elder do to feed the flock of God? He leads. He's a great leader. Maybe the greatest among us. Here's another thing that he would do. He protects, disciplines, comforts, provides security, soothes the troubled, forgives, handles disputes, evaluates weaknesses, ministering to the sick, counseling, and all of those things, all of those responsibilities that he has, and also... He's one that can delegate responsibilities to others, the deacons and the others too. That is a great leader. All of these responsibilities and more fall into the hands of an overseer. So what's the first thing that a person must do if they're gonna be an elder one day? They have to desire the office. It's a lifelong desire. He has to do that early on in his life. And if he desires the position or the title, he even more so desires the work for the cause of Christ. Second requirement. Blameless. Blameless. In Titus chapter 1 in verse 6, Titus says, or Paul says to Titus, if any be blameless. Now the word if suggests that ordaining elders in every city was conditional upon what follows. So he says, if there's anyone that is Blameless. Titus was to ordain only those men that were qualified. And Titus in no way, as I've already mentioned, could ignore the qualifications, and you and I cannot ignore the qualifications either. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 2, it says a bishop must then be blameless. Now, bishop and elder, remember this, these terms are used interchangeably in the Word of God. The word elder describes the man... The word bishop describes his function. Both are used interchangeably. Now, we find that in the Word of God, Acts 20, and also Titus 1. Now, this does not mean that an elder or a bishop is a boss. It doesn't mean that at all. Remember also that the elder is also a shepherd of the congregation. Do you know who the greatest example of a shepherd is? If an elder is a shepherd if that's what he's described as a pastor or having the pastoral care or the shepherd, shouldn't he look to the greatest shepherd of all as an example? In fact, the Bible says this about our shepherd in 1 Peter 2.25. It says, Jesus is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Same word, bishop. He is the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. Now, what did Jesus do as a shepherd or a bishop? He didn't communicate superiority. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, that he literally emptied himself. He humbled himself that he might serve others' needs. And you know what? What's amazing about Jesus and his relationship to the church, and that's what Paul talks about in the Ephesian letter when he talks about the marriage relationship. He likens the marriage relationship to the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his bride, and that's the church. Now, if a man as a husband and father follows the pattern that Jesus did, then everything that he does will also be for his bride or his wife in that relationship. Everything Jesus did was for his bride. Nothing selfish, nothing for himself. And we're so thankful that he's the one That is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. All right. I'm not talking about some authoritarian with a big stick. That's a very noble task. So Paul says he must be blameless. Now, the word blameless simply means above reproach. W.E. Vine says this literally means something that cannot be laid hold of. Now, what's that mean? Well, first of all, this word occurs in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. It occurs in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 7, and it occurs in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 14. Now, Paul is not saying that elders are to be sinless, because no elder and no man is sinless. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 1 and 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So what are we talking about? What's blameless mean? Robert Milligan says, against whom no evil charge can be sustained. Now, it's a matter of no charge being proved against someone, and it doesn't mean that you can never be accused of anything. Too, by the way, I'm going to tell you, if you want to do what's right, people that are jealous will accuse you of all kinds of all kinds of things, blaming you for stuff. How many times have people made choices in their life, and then retroactively went back and tried to cast blame as to why they made those choices? That's as old as the hills, as my grandmother used to say. It's the way it is. People do that. And then what they want to do is retroactively go back and blame. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about not having a sustainable charge against you. Now, the Bible does talk about a sustainable charge. What happens? How do you know if it's a sustainable charge? Well, the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. What about an elder? Watch this. In 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all and the rest also may fear. Now, so the idea of being blameless does not mean perfect. It doesn't mean you never sin publicly either. Consider Peter. Consider Peter. Peter tells Jesus, I don't care if I got to go down with you. I don't care if they come and take my life too. I will never leave your side. I will never betray you. Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Peter, before the cock crows, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In the process of time, after Jesus was taken, time and time again, it got worse and worse. And finally, Peter, the Bible says, he is cursing and swearing, saying, I know not the man, Jesus. And about that time, he hears the rooster crow, and Jesus looks upon Peter. And he goes out and he weeps, right? He was restored. He was restored. Remember when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, you know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Three times he made him say he loved him for all three times that he rejected him. So we're not talking about somebody that has never been guilty of something. Get that out of your head. It's not talking about somebody that's never made a mistake or somebody that's ever even sinned publicly. What about Peter again? You know, sometimes when we look at the the, the life of Peter, it's encouraging because he wasn't perfect either. And in the book of Galatians, you remember that? Peter should have been the one who brought the gospel to the Gentiles for the very first time. He should have been the one that knew better. And the Bible says that he refused to eat with the Gentiles because of the way that the Jews would look down upon him. What did Paul do? Paul withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Galatians 2, 11 through 13. But later in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, I already said this, I already read the scripture. What does it say? Who am also a elder. We learn from Peter's example that once a person repents, such a person becomes blameless again. And suitable to serve as an elder as far as the idea of being blameless is concerned. Okay, today's lesson really is more of an introduction to what we're going to talk about. So in conclusion, we're going to get into a whole lot of other stuff next Sunday. But in conclusion, what do we know so far? We know that a man must first desire the office. He must have a desire for the office. If you don't desire the office, you will not work for it. That's number one. But if you do desire the position or the title of an elder, you must more so eagerly desire the work keeps you humble. What else? I don't know what's the matter with this thing. A man must be blameless, meaning no sustainable charges against him. Perfect? Nope. Not going to happen. Just no sustainable charges. By the way, if there's a sustainable charge, if there's a charge against you, you know how you get rid of it? You know how you become blameless again? Repent. Make it right. That's all you got to do. And you know what? If you do that, you're back to being blameless. You're only blamed or under the guilty part of being blamed if there's a sustainable charge against you that you won't take care of. Just take care of it. So you got to desire the office. You got to be blameless. And next week, we're going to talk about the family requirements the family requirements of being an elder. I'm through. This morning, Thank you for your kind listening as we introduce the series that we're going to continue in for a while on elders and deacons in the Lord's Church. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at...